Lord God, uh, we, we thank you for scripture. Lord, we thank you for its honesty, Lord, for its depth, for its texture. Um, thank you for stories like Rahab's, Lord, that yeah, just remind us of how, how broken our world is, um, but how good you are and how you use, um, Lord, whoever you want to use um, for your glory. Amen. Um, so, Milana has clearly done most of the heavy lifting. Um, so, I'm just going to try to drive home four points about this story, and then we'll get you guys home. Um, today we're talking about Rahab. Um, if you could go to the next slide. Uh, this doesn't show up well. I, Sorry about that. But uh, there's a lot of people in Jesus' lineage. This, we're... As Leon alluded to earlier, we're going through Christ's genealogy, um, and as he talked about we, last week, it is a genealogy that is full of broken people, um, and I mean, you have murderers, you have adulterers, you have um, kings who sacrifice their own sons to foreign gods, um, you have pagans. Um, this is not, this is not what, uh, yeah. This is not the highlight reel you would want if you were going to take over the world. Um, but um, I think Jesus does that for a few reasons. Um, one, because it drives home the point that, that people are broken. Um, as Pastor Russ used to say, the Bible is a story about bad people and a good God. Um, and we just see that at every generation. Um, one of the other interesting things about Jesus' genealogy is um, when and where uh, Matthew chooses to point out the women along the way. Um, we talked about Tamar last week. Um, the highlight is around Rahab. Um, there's also Ruth and Bathsheba, um, who I believe we'll be talking about in the next couple weeks. Um, but, and there's a few reasons I, I think Jesus does this. Um, I think um, he does it to remind us that women were and are created in the image of God. Um, and in Genesis 1, you find them getting the same command alongside Adam um, to fill the earth and subdue it, uh, to rule over um, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Um, women are um, just as important um, in not only family lineages, um, but also in the cultural mandate to, to spread God's image bearing throughout the world. Um, and so in a very much patriarchal society, um, Matthew takes, takes a uh, chance to point out um, a few stories of women along the way. Um, and he does so, I think, at interesting points because a lot of times he does so at the expense of the men in their life. Um, and in elevating these women's stories, he points out the brokenness of the men right next to them. Um, and... Um, I think I think it's good to note that I am, and I think as I was preparing for the sermon, one of the things that stood out to me um, as I looked more and in, more into this was just um, that men and women experience brokenness differently. Um, and clearly, I'm not going to be able to tell you all the ways that a woman experiences brokenness. Um, but a lot of the sin in the world, a lot of the systemic sin, affects women more than it does men. Um, 
particularly in societies that um, emphasize like male offspring. Um, think of China, of India. Um, not to say that we don't have this, have similar issues in the U.S., um, but you know, daughters are often, if they know the sex before they're born, aborted. Um, if they find out the sex after they're born, they're abandoned. Um, if they run out of money to mouse to feed, they will sell daughters into prostitution. Um, and so I, I think as we go through um, even Jesus' family tree, like we see, um, we see that played out. Um, and I, I think that is one of the things that's important to, not only to see it, in Jesus' history, but also as we look around us, I think we can see that in our own culture, um, in our own city. Um, and I think, it, I think we should remember to elevate the stories of the women around us um, in similar fashion. Uh, all right, we can go to the next slide. Um, so uh, Rahab's story um, primarily takes place in Joshua chapter 2, um, and this also doesn't show up that well, but so Jericho's right here, Egypt's would be, Egypt would be down here, the Red Sea, like right here, um, this is the Dead Sea, the Jordan River runs right here, so Israel is currently camped about right here, Jericho's right here, it's the first um, big city that they'll encounter, um, archaeologists that have done work in that area have discovered that there was two walls um, as thick as like four to seven feet um, and as tall as 17 feet. Um, around the outer wall, there was a ditch that you can see that made the outer wall appear even taller. Um, this was before the days of like, I don't know if you've watched Lord of the Rings, but like catapults and all the, the fancy um, castle attacking things that were later developed in like medieval times. So this was an impenetrable fortress um, and had great confidence um, if it were attacked because in those days if you didn't have those um, if you didn't have those things which no one did you would just camp around it and not let anybody out or in so they couldn't get food and they couldn't get water but Jericho was built on an oasis it had a spring inside of it um, and as some of the details in the story show it was harvest time so they were as full of food as they could get um, a city like this could have held out for a couple of years um, if there was a siege. Um, so there was reason as a people to feel very confident um, where they were at. All right, we can go to the next one. Um, so we're just going to walk through the passage. Um, a lot of this um, Milana already went through, but um, we'll get it straight from Scripture. Uh, all right. And Joshua, the son of Nun, um, so he was a leader after Moses, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, and that's the, the city to the west of the Jordan, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Um, so immediately we're kind of introduced to the main uh, characters in this story. Um, Rahab, a not 
not a ton is said about her other than that she's a prostitute. Um, from that, we can infer that she was single, that she was poor, um, that she was without a voice in her city. She was without power. Um, she was uh, a very unlikely hero. Um, someone not only l- looked over by the folks in her own city, but should have been looked over by an invading army, an invading god. Um, I th- one of the things that I th- I think is is really cool about this story is um, is just a reminder that when we are um, in hard circumstances um, and there doesn't seem to be a way out, um, as the, the last song was thought very powerful, just about that idea of waiting, um, that we serve a God who sees. Like there is no one too insignificant for our God. Um, And that redemption for Rahab came in the middle of her life. Um, For some of us, it won't come till the end. Um, But we do serve a God who sees and a God who, um, as Advent reminds us, entered into our broken world and redeemed it from the inside out. Yeah, you can go to the next slide. Um, one of the lessons I want you to take home from this story is that faith is a gift from God. There is no reason that Rahab really should have turned to God. Um, she didn't grow up knowing God. Um, all she had heard was these stories about God. Um, her story, in, I don't want to get on myself, but yeah, faith is a gift from God. Um, there's a passage in let's see, Ephesians 2 that I want to turn to really quick. It says, It's Ephesians 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, It does not matter who you are or where you come from or what you've done, good or bad. Faith is a gift from God. You can go to the next passage. Um, Moving along in the text. um, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them and on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Hmm. 
The next point is that faith empowers action. Um, there's a great passage in James chapter 2 um, that actually points back to Rahab. Rahab is one of the, the few women who, um, from Jesus' genealogy, that's pointed back to in other places in the New Testament um, as kind of a hero or heroine of the faith. Um, she's pointed out both in Hebrews 11, um, but also in James chapter 2. I'm going to read a section of that. Um, For what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And moving along the passage a little bit. And in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from the works is dead. Um, In that passage, it talks about, um, it says something to the effect of, so you believe in God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Knowledge of God is not enough. Um, True faith empowers action. As we see in Rahab, she, you know, we don't get a ton of the backstory. Um, We get a little sense of why she did this later on in the passage, but um, she was decisive. She saw what was coming ahead of time. She had already hidden the men by um, by the time the soldiers arrived. And, yeah, I... Um... Yeah, she's, a, she, I think, a very, a very clever woman, a very strong woman. She was putting pretty much everything on the line. Um, later on, she talks about her family and wanting them protected, so we know that they were also at risk um, in this setting. And she had no, no promises, no visions from God. Um, she just had a, a knowledge of him, um, a secondary knowledge of him to go on at this point. Um, keep going. All right. So before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And this is a particularly amazing thing to hear from a pagan woman um, with no first-hand knowledge of God. For the Lord your God, and she calls him Yahweh, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal faithfully or we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Um, saving faith is in God alone. When Rahab talks about the Israelites' God, she calls him Yahweh, which was his particular name for the Israelites. Um, 
elsewhere um, in scripture, this is reaffirmed, but um, she realizes that her gods, what she's been serving, what she's been trying to do her whole life is nothing in the face of this God, this God that she's heard stories about, this God that she has yet to experience personally. Um, But she's so convinced of that that she's willing to put everything on the line. And she does it, as far as we can tell from the story, very quickly. Um, this is maybe something that she'd been thinking about as you know, stories kept coming in about the Israelites. Um, but this is, there was a time for action, and she acted. Um, you know, this, um, in, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, in Acts, uh, I believe 4.12, um, Peter's giving us a sermon of sorts, and he says, uh, there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Um, as tempting as it is to say that everyone is going to be okay, no matter what they believe, no matter what they God they serve, that is not the message of Scripture, and that is not what Rahab believed. Um, she was turning away from the gods of her people and was turning towards um, this god that she knew was more powerful. Um, I think we can move on. All right. 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days in the t- until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made to us, S- that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather in your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear." And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Um, This brings us to our last lesson. Um, Faith inspires. Um, If you read through that passage, the men did exactly what she told them to do. And their report was exactly what she said to them. They were basically just retelling what Rahab had said. Um, 
What's interesting is that this is not actually the first time spies were sent into the land. Um, Numbers 13 and 14 talk about another group of spies that were sent into the land. There's 12 of them. Um, Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, um, who became leaders. Joshua is the leader of the Israelites at this time. Um, Went in, saw a land, as they described it, full of milk and honey, um, and came back and gave a glowing report. And they said, this, this land is great. It's everything that God said it was going to be. Let's go in there. Um, the other 12, or the other 10, um, said, yeah, it is great, but the people there are really big, and they're really strong, and they've got these cities that have walls on them. Um, so I don't think we should do it. If we go in there, we're just going to get destroyed. These are men who had walked through the Red Sea. These are men that had drank water that came from a rock. They had experienced God. But for whatever reason, they didn't get it. Um, And now Rahab, who's never experienced God, who's just heard. Who's just heard stories that these men lived is so convinced of God's power that she's willing to put everything on the line for it. Um, and her faith, her faith catches, um, you know, the men, the men, um, yeah, again, retell her words. Um, and, yeah, I think um, this is a point that you can take two ways. Um, um, There are a lot of great men and women of faith. They're all flawed. Realize that. Um, Some of their stories are recorded in scripture. We have 2,000 years after that um, where great stories have been happening. Um, There are, yeah, there are women, um, there's a woman named Betsy Stockton, who was an African-American slave who went on to become the first single woman missionary in the modern era, um, I believe, of any race. Um, There are stories of, uh, I was, um, there's another woman, uh, Josephine Butler, who lived in the 1800s and was a, a very strong advocate against um, European prostitution and child sex trafficking. trafficking. Uh, and, yeah, there, there are stories and stories. Um, there's a woman named Mary Stone is her English name, um, but she was a Chinese woman who actually graduated from the University of Michigan. She's one of the first uh, Chinese women to receive a medical degree. Um, but she went back to China and started several indigenous-led ministries. Um, I mean, I was just scratching the surface as I got into this, um, but I think we need to um, bring out stories. Um, Stories of people historically, stories of people currently. um, And I think we need to um, be sharing our own stories. you guys are all living a life of faith. 
Um, I hope. If you aren't, I would love to talk to you more about that. Um, but when you hold your experiences in um, and don't share the goodness that God has um, brought about in your life, even small or big, um, you're holding back God's story. Uh, so I would encourage you to, sh- yeah, to share, share what God is doing because um, people need to hear it. Um, yeah, we can go to the last slide. So um, some quick thoughts on application. Um, first, you've got to recognize your need. Um, Rahab recognized that despite the fact that she was probably living in the most powerful city in Canaan at the time, that she was vulnerable and that there was a God out there who was bigger than anything she knew. And she put, her, put herself um, under God's care. Um, remember God's great power and love. Again, I think you can get that through stories in the Bible. I think you can get that by reading um, books, biographies about um, Christians. I think you can get that by having a prayer journal and keeping track of what God has done in your own life. Um, and we need to we need to be doing this um, because we are so quick to forget, um, so quick to wander. Um, we need reminders in our lives. Um, turn to God and give him your whole life. First um, John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, and this is not a one-time thing. It's a continual um, pressing into God. Um, it is also just not, not just part of us. It is our whole life. Um, God does not want to sit, God does not want to share his throne with anybody else. He is a jealous God. Um, Jesus said uh, at one point in his ministry that no one who puts his hand to the plow, meaning jumps into service in the kingdom of God, but looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, meaning you go all in. And if you backslide, you go all in again. Um, and then get to work in God's power. Um, it's another passage in Philippians. I tried to memorize it, but I don't, I don't want to screw it up because uh, it's that good. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Um, what I love about this passage is, um, is it holds two, two theological concepts in the same breath. Um, the idea that God is sovereign and the idea that we are to be, to be working and to be active in our own faith. Um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, like Rahab, our faith needs to lead to action. Um, there's not one kind of action. There's all sorts of actions. Um, I think conceptually a good way to think about this is devoting ourselves to spiritual disciplines, 
um, is primary. You know, reading the word, praying. Um, there's a host of others. Um, stewardship, fasting, um, devoting ourselves to those um, produces spiritual fruit in our lives. Um, it shows us where and how God is working and how we can be a part of that. Um, and then tell others your story. Um, I hope you are encouraged um, by Rahab that there is no, no person who is too damaged, um, too insignificant. Um, in fact, if the Bible is any indication, Jesus often prefers those people. Um, and so, yeah, be encouraged. Um, God wants to use you for his glory, and he wants, he wants to redeem you as his image bearer. He wants you to retell his story, both with what you do and with what you say. I think that's our last slide. Um, let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who sees. Um, but Lord, you are not just a God who sees. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is with us. Lord, who joined into our suffering as a small baby 2,000 years ago who lived a life that was full of struggles and temptations like ours. Lord, then you died a horrible death, Lord, to pay for our sins. Thank you that it did not end there, Lord, but that you were raised again, Lord, to new life and that you are sitting at the right hand of God, that we have the chance to have your spirit inside of us, Lord. Lord, you are so good to give us these gifts. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that this week, Lord, that we would take courage from Rahab's story. Lord, and that we would live for you. And that we would tell others your story. <laughs>